Blog Talk Radio. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast uh, for the week of uh, August 5th. I am your host, Zach Van Norman, and I am joined by my co-host, Amy Hood. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. How are you on this lovely evening? Doing quite well, actually. It's a nice, sunny day here, as I'm sure it is for most people since it's summertime, and just... Uh, Loving the fact that we get to talk about True North today. Um, it is one of my favorite episodes of the entire show, not just season one. Um, and also very excited to get to talk to Kaylee later on about makeup. I'm very, very excited to talk to her, too. I, I know a lot of the Once Pot a Fan followers that have followed Kaylee on Twitter and things for a long time. Um, she's posted pictures of some of the makeup and stuff that she's done before. And a lot of our fans, I think, also are fans of other projects she's worked on, things like Supernatural, which I know my whole family are huge Supernatural fanatics, but she's worked on a ton of projects, not just Once Upon a Time, and I'm really excited to get to talk to her today. She's definitely a sweetheart. Yeah, she. I've talked to her a little bit, too, and she is very sweet, and I am very grateful to her for taking the time to come on to the podcast with us today. Uh, we're going to actually be talking to her later on, you guys, um, after 6 o'clock, well, after the top of the first hour um, is when we're going to be talking to Kaylee. So if you're looking forward to that, it is coming later on in the show. Uh, of course, we're going to start out with our regular um, news roundup, as we always do. Uh, we've got a lot of really, uh, really interesting news, including some things that have not actually made, you know, the mainstream news um, you know, recently because of where they took place and exactly um, what was said. So very excited about mm-hmm. that. But let's go ahead and dive right on into this with our news roundup. Of course, um, the more recent news that we have to report is that we are very, very excited for Lana Perea and Fred de Blasio because, as most monsters know, they, and as it was just revealed, they were married before the beginning of season four. And... Um, I am so happy for them. I love the fact that they were able to pull it off in secret and that nobody knew until, you know, somebody blew the whistle to uh, U.S. Weekly, so or Us Weekly, rather. <laughs> uh, so um, good for them for their secrecy. But congratulations to the happy couple and also to, you know, the rest of their, um, you know, their family and their extended family as well from all of us and Once Upon a Fan. Definitely. I was really excited. And this event... Um, you know, gossip hearsay. Lana did confirm it even after Us Weekly. She tweeted out a picture of both her and Fred with their rings and confirmed they got married on, I believe it was July 5th, that she said. Um, no pictures from the wedding, which is fine. They wanted to keep it private. But I, I, they were talking about it in Brides Magazine and said she wore a custom Monique Lily gown. And I'm sure she could have worn a potato sack and looked fabulous. So... We're very, very happy that our queen has married her king, and we hope that everything is just absolutely beautiful for them. Absolutely. Um, it's funny, too, listeners, because privately, um, Amy and I were discussing it, and we were wondering whether or not Eduardo Castro had designed her wedding dress, because, you know, who else mm. would be the person but Eduardo? And though they didn't pick him, I'm sure that she looked lovely. I still would love to see what an Eduardo Castro wedding dress on Lana Perea would look like. I would, I, oh, can you imagine? I just want to see what the pictures of her actual wedding dress were. I'm, I don't expect that we'll get those because it's obviously a private affair. But, um, yeah, 
that I'm sure that she looks fabulous. She looks fabulous and everything. But I, just for my own personal take, I would love to see what Lana Priya would look like in an Eduardo Castro wedding dress. Perhaps we'll see that one day on the show. You never know. Outlaw Queen is a thing. So hey, you know, you never know. There you go. It's true. Yeah, I would. I would love to see it. I, I'm like a wedding freak. I, I adore the whole dress thing and looking at all the beautiful fashions and stuff. So even though I agree, I, I doubt if we'll get a peek at uh, Lana's actual dress because it was a private event. But uh, on the inside, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I would love to see it. Yeah, same. And then we've also got some other news um, that happened as far as, you know, the season four of, of uh, Once Upon a Time going on. We've had some stills that were released recently of some new characters. And, Amy, I believe that you have a little bit of information about that, darling. Yes. These were officially released by ABC, so it wasn't, like, snuck pictures from the set. But we got to see uh, pictures of Elsa. And I know we had seen a few before because we saw that clip from San Diego Comic-Con. So we saw actual stills of her and Anna and Kristoff, which I had not seen anything with Kristoff prior. And um, it looks like, I'm, I'm just assuming, that they are in some sort of a reindeer barn area. I'm, I'm assuming they're visiting Sven. Who knows? But then it also shows one of the pictures ABC released was Elsa standing in front of it. It almost looked like a wardrobe. So I'm assuming... Like the sneak peek clip, she mentioned she had something she wanted to give Anna for her wedding. So she looks all excited, like perhaps whatever it is is inside this wardrobe. So the pics were really beautiful, and it looks like the costumes are very true to what we've seen from the original Disney. So like we've read before, I don't don't think they're going to stray very far from from the – the Once Upon a Time. Yeah, a reindeer bar. <laughs> Ashley said a reindeer bar. Not like, you know, Sven's walking up and ordering a beer or anything, but, you know, a barn. <laughs> Maybe I should alliterate a little more. Uh, well, you know, I mean, if, they, if it was a reindeer <laughs> bar, like, we, okay, if it was a reindeer bar, then we would have to call it reindeer games, right? Am I alone in thinking this? That would be the perfect <laughs> name for a reindeer bar. Right? Perhaps yeah. Rudolph will be friend of them, you know? Maybe? Maybe? Comment, maybe, anyone? Maybe he's the owner of the establishment. Oh, yeah. Ashley in the, the chat room is saying that she would have a beer with Sven. I would also have a beer with Sven. And then, yeah, Perhaps Rudolph would, would be I. The Yeah, that. Oh, because you know what? They could even have, like, some kind of, like, instead of happy hour, it would be, like, the Red Nose special, right? We're just inventing And they would the whole be Red Nose after a few of them. And, and Red Cheeked as well. Yes, absolutely. That's true. Oh, gosh, that's hilarious. Okay, and then uh, the latest bit of news that we have, um, let me see here, because I know that we've, there's been a lot of actually news that we had. Um, did you, oh, we did say that July 5th was Lana's wedding day, right? Did we say that? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Just want to make sure, because I'm looking at some other notes here, and I want to make sure I didn't miss it. Um, let me see. Also, we are very excited. Um, well, we did release... Um, as you all know, if you're a regular listener of the podcast or if you're a new listener, I'll recap it for you. This summer, we've been doing, with Once Upon a Fan, we've been doing summer hiatus survival guides, um, kind of based on the point of view of each character. We did release Cora's list earlier this week, and while she is not the most popular character, 
um, because she's a horrible person. Um, it is fun. <laughs> she just, let's just call it for what it is. Um, it is very, it's cool to have another list from another character because I think that some of the ones that we came up with are, are pretty funny on this one. Um, I particularly enjoy Rip Out a Heart or Two or 500, you know. I enjoy um, number one. <laughs> Yeah, number one, and, you know, listeners, if you don't like, you know, foul language, then, you know, hide your ears. But the first one on the list is um, be a total bitch Um, (laughs) because that's what Cora is. And, you know, you just have to acknowledge people for what they are sometimes. You know, it's kind of like how arguing with an idiot is like playing chess with a pigeon, you know, because eventually, uh, you know, the pigeon is just going to poop on the board and strut around like it won anyway. And that's pretty much what Cora did. So Cora is really apparently just a pigeon in the world. So that, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah. And then um, also we're very excited because we have some upcoming coverage um, for Dragon Con. And I think that, uh, Amy, you have some more information about who that will be. That will be the fabulous Ashley, who got to meet Zach. You guys met up at San Diego Comic-Con. So um, Zach mentioned last week that while he was trying to record and things, Ashley was uh, doing the live tweeting for Once Upon a Fan for our coverage. So she's definitely helped us out in the past, and she is no stranger to conventions. Um, I've met Ashley twice now at two different conventions, and um so she's all over it, and we're very excited that she is going to Dragon Con. I've heard from tons of people that Dragon Con is fantastic. Like, even before we found out that Ashley got uh, – we were able to get press access for Ashley to cover it for Once Upon a Fan, that um, I have friends here in Orlando who actually travel every year for probably the last 10 years. They always go to Dragon Con. So – I've heard nothing but good things about this convention, and the lineup looks really fantastic. So we are definitely excited to have more coverage on Once Upon a Fan from another convention because every time I know everybody starts buzzing with all the stuff that comes out of each con, so it's definitely very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Um, Ashley, just for all of you monsters out there, I just want to let you know, um, Ashley, number one, in my humble opinion, is an awesome person, and uh, she is a great person to go have a, uh, a big-ass beer with because we did have one of those <laughs> when we got together at uh, Comic-Con. It was actually when we sat and had dinner for the first time, and it was fabulous. Um, but I also just want to let everybody know that um, at, when, in working with Ashley, I can say that she is a really good person to have at, at conventions. She's going to be able to bring us a lot of good news, and you should all stay tuned to her coverage because I know – that she's going to do an awesome job. Ashley, I'm just going to puff you up a little bit because I know you're going to do an awesome job. So um, everybody stay tuned for her coverage. It is going to be something worthwhile to see. There's going to be a lot of celebrities who are going to be there for once upon a time. You know, Lee Ehrenberg will be there, Sean McGuire. Um, got a few other people That's going better. on. Yeah, Beverly Elliott will be there. Um, so, you know, which I'm so stoked for Ashley to be there because um, for those of you who don't know, Ashley actually does cosplay as Granny. And I am so looking forward to hopefully seeing a picture of Beverly Elliott next to Ashley dressed as Granny. So you can, uh, Ashley, you can say whether or not you're going to uh, be doing that this year or not. But, uh, yeah, I'm totally loving that. Yes, Grannyception. And, um, yeah, I want also Juan Car- Giancarlo, because his name is actually pronounced Giancarlo, as we found out at Comic-Con. So Giancarlo Esposito will also be there, who, of course, plays Sydney the Magic, or Sydney, Glass, as well as the Magic Mirror, the Genie, and um, 
Gus on Breaking Bad. And if you're familiar with that show, then you'll know that he suffered a rather horrible fate. And we're certainly hoping that Sidney does not suffer the same. <laughs> Definitely. I love him. He's so uh, – him and I feel like he and Tony Amendola, even though they have not recently been a huge, huge part of a lot of the episodes, those are two of the actors that I feel like add so much to the show. And I've been fans of theirs outside of Once Upon a Time for quite a while. So I'm really excited that Ashley's going to get a chance to to see all those people and talk to them. So I think it's going to be great. Very excited about that. Additionally, um, we had some information come out, and this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the show as far as some news alerts that happened that not that did not necessarily make the mainstream announcements because of where they took place. Um, uh, I don't want to say where this happened, but if you take a look perhaps at me or as me and my podcast co-host profiles, you may uh, find something interesting here. Um, Eduardo Castro <laughs> makes some Eduardo Castro, the costume designer for the show, the main costume designer, uh, made some very interesting comments um, recently as far as season four costumes. And for those of you who missed it, I just want to share a few of those with you. Um, We can't get into everything that he said because there were some spoilers that happened and we don't want to get Eduardo in trouble. However, if you take a look around, you may find exactly what we're talking about. Um, we yeah. asked Eduardo, Amy actually um, asked Eduardo whether or not we would be seeing any of the season four sketches for the costumes that they designed for Frozen. And what Eduardo had to say was actually very interesting. Um, and these are quotes now, so this is exactly what he said. He said that no sketches were done for these costumes. We had to copy the animated designs. These costumes were designed for animated figures and not humans, so Elsa was the trickiest costume ever. Uh, When we asked him what he would have done differently, he said that he would have placed the cape differently and approached the bodice differently to add more sex appeal. Um, What he thinks works great in the animated feature, you know, what works in the animated feature works well. Um, And also to... um, And he also said that in order to achieve a brilliant rendition of the costume required much more time than they actually had, uh, particularly the fitting process because TV schedules are so brutal. But he does think that he did a good job with what they have. Uh, This version has the most expensive fabric that has probably been used in recreating an Elsa costume. So this is an interesting point here. In order to make Elsa's costume, they imported beaded silk chiffon from Paris and it has Austrian crystals by Swarovski covering the bodice. So for those of you who are into costumes and cosplay and things like that, that is the material that is being used with Elsa's costume. It's obviously of very high quality and I'm very impressed. And, you know, it just really makes me appreciate the effort and, you know, the commitment that the production crew takes with the show as far as making sure that they provide you know, not only quality sets and things, but the costumes. The costumes have always stood out. Um, It's always been a staple of the show. And I think that him revealing these details about exactly what he's using to make it really adds a layer of depth and understanding to his work and his process. Amy, what do you think? I agree. And I love when Eduardo uh, shares his sketches. I think that they are – he doesn't tweet, but he does have Facebook. And he's also in, like, a costume designer group on Facebook as well where, you know, a lot of stuff gets shared. And 
you can see some stuff there too. I believe I don't think that's like a private group, but he when he shares those sketches, I love them so much. I w- I would if I could print them out and frame them. In fact, I probably will. And I don't even know if you saw it, Zach, but today he actually shared the sketch of. Uh, the like the sort of tavern wench outfit that Jennifer Morrison won or wore when she was uh, going to keep the other hook busy. He he actually posted today, and I'm not, I meant to tag you on it. His sketch of that, and it was it it's really you can see the detail in the sketching, even things you might not have noticed watching the episode. The sketch is just fantastic, and we've seen his sketches before for things that he's done for Regina or for Snow, and everything he does is just gorgeous. He he definitely deserves all all the Emmy noms that he gets for costuming. Absolutely, and um, for those of you who are not aware, I believe that it was it was last year, wasn't it, Amy, that Eduardo received the Lifetime Achievement Award for his work? Yes, yes, he did, and. He's actually well, been costuming for, for a very well, long time. Yeah, he has. He's worked on many, many things. Mm-hmm. His career spans. I've, he posts every once in a while pictures of himself from other projects he's done like years and years ago, and it's just amazing because his name, you know, the, the first time I, I recall knowing his name was from Once Upon a Time, but I, as I've looked through other things he's done, I realize that I've seen his work for years, you know. He's done a lot of things. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's um, obviously very well-deserved. Eduardo also let us know that he cannot publish any sketches of any Season 4 costumes until the season starts. So just because we have not seen them now, it does not mean that we will not be seeing some more sketches in the future. And... um, there are a couple of oh god, this is such dangerous territory now, Amy. Um, I know, there but I are, don't know what to say about it. <laughs> I don't know what to say either. Um, there he did reveal. Uh, there are some other costume sketches that are coming for some other characters that we can look forward to after season four starts. And if you want to know who they are, I suggest you do a little bit of digging because we can't actually say because we don't want to get anybody in trouble. So um, just bear in mind that there are a couple, some spoilers out there with this, and it kind of confirms the identity of uh, somebody An coming to the show. Character. <laughs> An upcoming character, yes. And also somebody that I was not expecting to see on the show, really. And I love the fact that that person is being included. Yes, and I'm wondering how that person is going to fit, because really the first time – let me see, how can I put this? With if this character is a big enough character to warrant, uh, you know, costuming, design, and sketching from Eduardo, you know, that's big, then this will be the first time we've had a character from. I don't want to call it a genre, but you you know what I mean. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. we are, <laughs> we're being so cryptic, but. I, we don't we want to get Eduardo in trouble. It's dangerous territory to be in because um, I, I know that he, I, I don't want to get anybody in trouble because I love Eduardo and I don't want him to get in trouble for anything. So um, that's, that's all I'm saying. Um, you know, take a look in the chat room too if you're in the chat room. Uh, you know, 
That's all. Take a peek in the chat room. Take a peek. Um, so, so yeah, that's pretty much all we can say for that. So now that that's done, I want us to get into our episode review of True North. Um, because oh, oh wait, Amy, did I cover all of our news points? I think I got it all right. That was everything. Oh wait, okay. Um, the title of episode three. The title of episode three in season four was revealed. It's Rocky Road, which of course Rocky I'm Road. Sure I, that Rocky Road. Um, I'd love to give me so hard. Um, anyways, the view answers, but it, the title of that episode, every time I read it, makes me want to go to the freezer and grab ice cream. So I'm kind of mad at them naming the episode that because I, I'm, I want ice cream. Uh, the upswing of that, of course, is that I will have an excuse to have some Rocky Road ice cream when they air that episode, because you better believe I'm going to be sitting there with a bowl of Rocky Road while we're watching an episode called Rocky Road. Um, and Absolutely. I invite all of you to me. Uh, Amy, I know you probably will. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know I'm an ice cream freak. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. Um, all I'm saying is Ben and Jerry's, that's my jam. That's all I'm saying. Mm. I'm no, very no, no. in the middle. It's raspberry jam in the middle, and it doesn't freeze, and it's in between chocolate ice cream and then regular ice cream or, like, raspberry ice cream that has chocolate chunks in it. And it's amazing. Anyways. Um, go out to your local grocery store and grab some of that, folks, because I'm telling you, it's the most delicious thing ever. Okay. So, um, what else do we have? Oh, also, I want to acknowledge a theory that came up in last week's chat room that I don't think we acknowledged um, last week when we were talking, which is uh, somebody had a theory, and, and because of the fact that we, you know, the chat room is not you know, transcripted or anything, I don't know who said this, and I apologize to the person who said this for not being able to acknowledge you and not writing it down. But somebody has a theory that because Henry is going to end up spending so much time with Rumpelstiltskin in season four, that Henry will in fact be the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And if you are familiar with Fantasia, then you know exactly what that would mean. And of course, we know that that Sorcerer's Hat does exist because it's in Rumpelstiltskin's trophy room in the episode Skin mm-hmm. Deep of season one. So it isn't, I love that theory. Uh, it may have been Aaron Van Quill who said that. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I love that theory, and I am, I'm actually hopeful that that ends up being the case because that would also mean that Yenta the Sorcerer could be a part of all of this too. Perhaps he wants his hat back from Rumpelstiltskin. I don't know. Um, I've been pushing for him to be on the show for a while because I have my own theory about what would happen, and I just want to see it play out. Oh, Sarah Sarah says it was her. She's the one that that mentioned it. I'm glad that somebody in the chat room because we could not remember. Yeah, my apologies, darling, because we saw it, but we couldn't go back and read it, and so we were, like, falling all over ourselves to find it, but we just couldn't. So I'm glad that you were able to join us in the chat room today and let us know. So Sarah Benedict, everybody, please give her a round of applause for that theory because it is quite a good one, and I enjoy it a lot. Love it. Love it. So with uh, all of that being said. Uh, your thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. Um Oh, and also, too, um, it appears that uh, Amazon is jumping the gun and shipping out some of the DVD and Blu-ray of Season 3 early because some people have already received their copies, even though it's not supposed to be out for another two weeks. So uh, mm-hmm. if you have ordered, be hopeful. There's always hope. So hopefully we will all start getting it early. So that's it. Having said all of that, let us now get into our episode discussion of True North. Um, overall, my opinion, as I said earlier, it is one of my favorite episodes of the entire show. Uh, I think it does a lot to establish a lot of Emma's character. It has a lot of parallels 
um, between things. Um, really, really deep stuff going on in this episode with family and stuff. And I also love how they incorporated Hansel and Gretel into the story and the Blind Witch and everything else. So overall, I love this episode. Amy, how about you? General opinion. I forgot how much I loved this episode until we rewatched it and just exactly what you said. I feel like this is one of Jennifer Morrison's strongest episodes and definitely one of my favorites. Indeed. This, of course, is an episode that uh, plays heavily into the fairy tale theme. So let's get right on into this, everybody, shall we? Um, now, in the past, of course, if you were if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, when we've done our reviews before, you know, we started out doing it chronologically as the episode aired, and then we switched it over to um, talking about everything in each storyline as it unfolds. We're going to continue with the storyline analysis because jumping back and forth can just be super complicated and uh, a little bit hard to keep track of and trying to make sense of everything. So um, let's get on into that. The show begins, of course, with Henry. He is in Mr. Clark's shop in Storybrooke, and he is reading the comic book Wolverine vs. Hulk. Uh, I love the, uh, love the, the inclusion of Marvel in there. Yes, I love how Marvel was included in that. Of course, that happened just after Disney acquired Marvel, which is why they were able to do so. Um, they're in the drugstore, and Ava and Nicholas, well, we don't know their names at the time, but two kids stop by and they say hello to Henry. The girl offers to hang out with them. And then they all try to leave, but they are, of course, stopped by Mr. Clark, who finds stolen goodies in their bag. Um, and Henry realizes that their offer to hang out with him and be his friend was, in fact, just a cover for them to put the stolen stuff into his bag. Later, Regina arrives at the drugstore, where she denies that Henry was stealing because her, he knows better and because her son doesn't eat candy. Um, I'm sorry, Regina, but all kids eat candy at some point, so I just don't think you're paying <laughs> attention at that point. I, I'm sorry, babe. But I love you, Regina, but you're obviously not watching your kid enough because I'm pretty sure that Henry has had candy once in his life. Um, <laughs> one would think. One would think. Um, Emma arrives, and uh, Regina has this line that I love. She says, Miss Swan, must I remind you that genetics mean nothing? You're not his mother. Um, which I think is a very interesting juxtaposition to season three and the fact that when they were in Neverland, she was saying, our son you know, our, you know, that he was theirs together. Um, it's a very big, it just shows, you know, how much Regina has grown as far as her accepting Emma into Henry's life. Uh, that's a prime example. And it really relates to stuff that happened in season three. So I really like that line a lot. Um, Emma says that she's there as sheriff, of course, and Regina leaves her to do her job. Emma, Emma confronts the two kids uh, about their disconnected phone number that they gave Mr. Clark. And after looking at the items that they stole, she realizes that they are just trying to get by. They're not trying to be malicious or anything. They're stealing things like toothpaste and such. So, you know, they're obviously not, uh, you know, not these horrible criminal children that Regina would make them out to be. Um, Ava, at that point, asked her not to call her parents, you know, not to call their parents because things are bad enough. So Emma drives Ava and Christopher to their house, and she appears to drive off after using her superpower and asking them a question. Um, she lets them go, and after they go into their house, Emma, of course, enters through the front door and appears. She asks them about their parents, and they admit that they don't have any. And uh, you can tell that Emma is obviously touched by that. Uh, it uh, clearly relates back to her own situation. Um, and this is the first example of a parallel between Emma and Gretel slash Ava. Um, it's very obvious that Emma sees a lot of herself in 
you know, these two kids' story, but particularly in Ava, and we'll see more of that as we get into more of the episode here. Um, later on, she takes, them, oh, she takes the kids over to Mary Margaret's, where Mary Margaret asks Emma about social services and what they said. Emma acknowledges that she did not call because if she calls, then she can't help them anymore and relays her own experience as a foster child as far as how um, kids are used as meal tickets and they get kicked out from one home to the other as soon as the money that they are given from the state runs out, uh, they, of course, being the parents. Um, it's really obvious here that Emma's personal experience is hitting her pretty hard, and this is really the where you start to find out, you know, through what she's saying, like that's basically what Emma has been through. You can kind of extrapolate that from what she's saying. Um, really love Jennifer Morrison's performance in this episode. It's it's one of her more hard-hitting um, performances, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, Emma says that it's hard enough to find a foster family for one kid, let alone two. Ava overhears that and realizes that they're going to be separated, but Emma promises that it's not going to happen. So then Emma goes to the town record keeper, who is known as Kay, and who gives Emma a form to fill out in triplicate, let us not forget. And uh, she has to fill that form out before she can get Ava and Christopher's records, but he says that they have been removed, and it's revealed that they have been removed by Regina. Um, Of course they have. They have, because Regina has her dirt fingers and everything. Um, and I just want to say too that uh, I had originally had a theory about this guy, Kay. Amy, you're aware of it. Um, yeah. And it actually relates to the Sorcerer's Apprentice and Yensid, um, and actually Henry Storybrooke, because it seems to me that if there is a man who is the town record keeper, then my idea had been that he was probably going to end up being the, uh, the author of Henry's Storybook, because who better to record everything in the Enchanted Forest than the town record keeper, right? Um, And, of course, it appears that that may not be the case. I am still hopeful that somehow that has something to do with it, but I've actually switched my theory now to thinking that Yensid the Sorcerer is the one who wrote the the Once Upon a Time book and that he has uh, had knowledge of the curse the entire time and has been operating behind the scenes and that that will eventually be revealed. I have no reason really to think that, nothing concrete, but I just love the idea. Um, and it makes sense to me that that would be the case. And also, too, I just want to point out that Henry's storybook, Once Upon a Time book, looks very similar to the magic book in Fantasia, um, which is, mm-hmm. of course, the source book. So I just want to point that out really quickly. I love this episode and the parts that, you know, just in the beginning, this is one of the episodes that had a couple of little Easter eggs throughout it. Um, you know, for Lossies, everybody who watched Lost, they're, one of the things that was being stolen was the Apollo bar, the candy bar, which shows up a lot throughout the thing. And one thing I'd mentioned to Zach, too, that I did not think about or look up during the first time I saw it was Ava and Nicholas, their last name is Zimmer, and Zimmer is actually a German uh, name, and a Zimmerman is someone, it, it refers to someone who works with with wood, so it's, I, I thought that was just a neat little tidbit for that. Yes, and uh, I agree with you on that. I love the fact that you took the time to look that up and that they even played that into it. Um, Emma goes to the mayor's office and Regina says that she called social services and says that there's no record of their father and the kids have to go to the foster system in Boston. 
Um, there's a shot where Regina is looking in her mirror in her office. I love that mirror because it reminds me of the animated Snow White. Um, Regina yeah. tells Emma that she has to take the kids to Boston that night, and Regina says that they need a home, and she's just trying to find the best one. Speaking of Regina and Lana Perea, we actually have some exclusive news from San Diego Comic-Con. Um, it's a clip from my interview with her at, uh, at the press roundtable. And if you look at the Once Upon a Time YouTube page, you will not see this question on the video because, uh, unfortunately, my camera was not recording. However, we have the audio of that, and it relates into Frozen. That was the question I asked her. So what I'm going to do now is play my question for you all and also play Lana Priya's answer, and uh, we'll see what you guys think about it. So hold on just a second. So you can't hear my question very well, as it turns out. So what I'm asking Lana Perea is, um, in Frozen, you know, there's obviously Elsa has to learn how to control her magic using love, and now that Regina is moving over to using light magic more than uh, dark magic, you know, does she see any kind of parallels happening between, um, between Elsa and Regina? Now, obviously, Lana could not speak on that very much because I hit a little bit too close to the mark, and there are things going on there that she cannot talk to us about. Um, and I hate to toot my own horn here, but I am very proud of that question because I obviously have hit on something that we are going to see um, in Season 4. So, uh, Amy, what do you think of that, darling? I love when the show does parallels. I love how, you know, in other episodes that might have been in season three, we see things that start to parallel things that were in season one. And, you know, characters that might have nothing in common, but then you start to see these underlying parallels. So I love the question. I, I definitely, you know, it must be so hard for them not being able to comment yet, being, you know, that the season hasn't started. But I definitely think there's going to be some parallels because, I mean, as we've seen in Frozen, Elsa, you know, isn't what everyone thinks she is. And Regina, for a while she was, you know, pretty evil and exactly what everybody thought she was. But after she started to go through that change, she, you know, nobody would even take the time to see what she, what or who she really was. So I definitely see where there's going to be a parallel between maybe those two things, those two aspects of their characters. Yeah, there are definite parallels there um, between Elsa and Regina and also, like Lana said, Elsa and Emma. Um, I think mm -hmm. that those three characters are really going to have a lot of interaction. Um, just really yeah. quickly, for those who have not seen this interview yet, it is online. 
But what I asked um, Jennifer Morrison was whether or not she saw any parallels between Emma and Elsa as far as controlling magic and the fact that Emma has to learn how to control magic using love, which is what Elsa does. And Jennifer Morrison revealed that Elsa and Emma are, oh, spoiler alert, by the way, um, she revealed that Elsa and Emma are friends and that this is the first time that Emma has ever felt that she has a friend who is outside the family. So uh, I think that there is, uh, there's a lot going on there. I have always viewed Emma and Regina as two sides of the same coin. Um, mm. As far as Emma's life goes, it would not be very difficult for her to transition into a person like Regina. She certainly has enough reason to. They, uh, you know, they've been through some similar stuff. They're very similar people. Um, so mm. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Elsa will maybe connect those two and maybe... Uh, bring some understanding between the two of them and, you know, help improve their relationship a little bit more. So uh, I am I am very excited. And, yes, Sarah Benedict in the chat room, she did say friend. She said that Elsa and Emma are friends. So expect to see that. Um, and I think that's just so cute. Um, and I can't, wait to, I can't wait for season four to start. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So now that we have revealed our exclusive San Diego Comic-Con information from La <laughs> Uh, let us get right back into our episode review where we left off. Regina was saying that the kids needed a home and that Emma has to take the, Boston, the kids to Boston that night. So uh, later on, Henry meets uh, Emma in the sheriff's office and realizes that Ava and the Christopher are actually Hansel and Gretel. And Emma is very intent on finding their father, and Henry asks Emma about his father. Oh, my God. Ashley just said in the chat room, I want Elsa to braid Emma's hair. The fact that, that Jennifer Morrison herself loves braids, um, I definitely think that, oh, oh, wouldn't it be something if we see Emma's hair in a braid? Oh, my gosh. Can we please make that happen? Are you listening, <laughs> costume department? Can we please make that happen? Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Henry asked Emma about his father. And she um, says that she met him at a diner, that he was always complaining about uh, their lack of pumpkin pie, and that, you know, life happened, she got pregnant, she tried to contact Henry's father after she got out of jail, but found out that he was a firefighter who died as a hero saving a family in a burning apartment building. Um, She says that his father was a real hero, um, which actually relates directly to what Emma told Rumple in the season three finale that Neil, when she was about to go through the portal to go back to the future, um, and you know, back to the future in our world, because um, that portal crossed not only time but space. And um, mm-hmm. it, at that point, she had said to Rumple that Neil died a hero and that he could not let that be in vain. And so the fact that she tells Henry that his father was a real hero it does actually play in to uh, what ended up happening with Neil. I love that you said that because that was one thing I actually wrote down, that Emma's words to Henry, although at the time they were a lie, they ended up being very prophetic about what came to pass in the future seasons because Neil was very much, he made the ultimate sacrifice, you know, and he did die a hero. So I thought that was really, really great. I loved that throughout, especially when Jennifer Morrison, I thought, was epic in this episode because every time, the first time I noticed it was when the kids told her they didn't have any parents. You see that instant recognition in her eyes 
that just, you know, that hits her character really hard. And you see that throughout this whole entire episode. I love it. This episode really gives you a lot of backstory and, and uh, you know, inside information about Emma that you, uh, that you otherwise do not have. Um, so I, I love that. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that is also a reason why I love this episode so much is because we learned so much about Emma. Um, Henry asks Emma if she has anything to remember his dad by, and she says no, but that she has an idea about how to find um, Ava and Christopher's dad. Now, I just want to say one thing. She said she does not have anything to remember Neil by as she's wearing her swan necklace that Neil yeah. gave her. Yeah. So that was two lies, actually, that she told. Um, one of them we didn't even know about until you know, season two in Manhattan. And it's only in watching this episode, looking back on it now, that I realized that she, that that was a lie and that she actually did have her necklace that he gave her. So, oh, wait, what what did I say? Okay. Um, I said Christopher (laughs) earlier. That's not his name in Storybrooke. Hansel's name in Storybrooke is Nicholas, not Christopher. I don't know why. (laughs) Maybe, apparently, sorry, I called him by his middle name. My bad. Okay. There you go. um, There we go. Okay, so we just gave him a, we, oh, my gosh. We just gave okay. him a middle name. A middle You're name. welcome, we're just, writers. We're just world building. It's okay. Not a big deal. All right. Yeah. So um, Emma goes to marry Margaret, and she shows Ava and Nicholas her baby blanket. And she says that she spent a lot of time with kids in their situation, and all of them, and then she says all of us, hold on to mm-hmm. stuff. Now, that all of us comment is really significant because it directly relates to season three and the episode Lost Girl when Emma looked into the lost boy's eyes and she saw that look that she saw so many times in the foster system. You know, it's really driving home the point that that's where Emma spent a lot of her time and, uh, you know, giving us some more information about Emma. And again, all this stuff relates to what's going on now in the story. So even in episode, mm-hmm. you know, season, you can go back and find little things like that that actually do you know, relate to what's happening now, and I really love that. Yeah. And it really just, I mean, this is where you really get the sense of how, I mean, you know that being in a foster home is, is was not a great thing for her, but in this episode, you really, just through things she says and body language, you really start to see that how bad and how horrible this was for Emma, and you can start to see some of those scars that, you know, emotionally this is done to her. Exactly, exactly. Um, after she shows them her baby blanket, she uh, Emma asks the kids if they have anything of their dad's that they've kept, and Ava produces the compass, and Emma promises to find their dad. So she goes to Gold's shop. He looks over the compass. He says it's a unique piece, and it was sold right from there. And Emma asks who bought it, and he says, well, I'm good with names, Miss Swan, but maybe not that good. And liar. He takes a card, liar. He takes a card out of a box, and he's about to tell it, to give it to her, but then he stops. And Emma asks what his price is, and he says forgiveness. Then he tells Emma that Michael Tillman is the one who bought the compass, and she asks him if he has any other information. And he says, just a name, but I genuinely find that that's all that one needs. Now, number one, the fact that he says he's good with names and a name is what you need, obviously that relates directly to the Rumpelstiltskin fairy tale as far as having to guess his name. Um, yeah. So there's that. I also want to just point out really quickly, um, 
Oh, well, okay. So then Emma wishes her, Emma leaves and he wishes her luck and the card is revealed to be blank. Like it's, it's not on there. Now I just want to point out one thing about this, about this scene. Gold is wearing a red tie. If you are a long-time listener of the podcast, then, uh, then you know this, but I'm going to recap it for anybody who's listening who's new. The color red in this show stands for a lot of things, but primarily it, they use it to convey power. And in this situation, Gold wearing a red tie, he is not only in power because he has all of the information, but also because he knows their fairy tale histories. So they are emphasizing very subtly in his tie that Rumpelstiltskin is a very powerful person. So I just want to point that out to everybody. Because yeah, if you're a long then you know that my whole thing with red and color on the show is uh, been a very, it's a long time thing that I've been watching and I will continue to highlight those kinds of things as the show progresses. So Emma finds Michael Tillman at the... I was just going to say, I love that the card was blank and that he's so matter-of-fact. But I also love, because you guys know how I feel about Easter eggs, that you can only see half of it behind him, but there is a an old, like a 1970s Mickey Mouse ceramic on one of the lower shelves behind him when he first starts talking to Emma. So hidden Mickey right there in the scene. So I just want to throw that out there because I'm, like, addicted to all the hidden Mickeys and hidden Disney things that they put into season one. Yes, and I love the fact that you have an eagle eye for those things. I, it's one of the things <laughs> that I love about you, my, my fellow Disney friend. I love it. Um, so, yeah, Emma finds Michael Tillman at the Marine Garage, and he denies that they're his children. He says that he met their mother camping. I love the parallel to the woodcutter. And also Tillman, like a till, like wood till, like a till man. Mm-hmm. Get it, everybody? Uh-huh. Um, Emma, Emma insists that they are his kids, telling him that they're going to be shipped to Boston unless he steps up. She reveals the compass. He realizes she's telling the truth. And Emma acknowledges that it's a lot to handle, you know, relating her experience with Henry showing up and that she moved a storybook for him. And this next part is something that I actually love. Um, Michael says to Emma that staying in town is different from raising them. And Emma says, I don't have my kid because I don't have a choice. Now, that right there. That right there reveals exactly how much she cares about Henry and exactly how much she wants to be his mother. Right. Even early, even early on, it's very, very obvious with her. Um, and it's, Yeah, and it's, even you know, though she hasn't actually admitted it to herself until, you know, we get further along. But at that, she I mean, that's the first thing that comes out of her mouth. And, I mean, you know it's truthful because that's her first instinct to say to him is, you know, she she doesn't have him because she has no choice. So I love that that, that line in. Yeah, exactly. I, it's very powerful. This is a very powerful em- episode for Emma. It's an episode. So um, it's an yeah, episode. It. it is an episode. Um, and, and you know, Emma says that if he denies his kids, you know, when they finally find him, and believe me, they will find you. He's going to have to answer them, and he refuses to help. And she goes outside to call Mary Margaret to come outside and. You know, she tells Mary Margaret that Tillman won't take them, and Mary Margaret says that, you know, Emma doesn't want to tell them the truth. And she said, Emma basically says that she can't, and Mary Margaret has this line. She says, the truth can be painful, Emma, but it can also be cathartic. The fact that it's coming from Mary Margaret, who is her mother, and she's talking about truth being cathartic, it's, it's a subtle thing of her basically saying that, you know, the truth about Emma's parents and the fact that she is Emma's parent might be painful, but it can also be cathartic. Like, it's a very double meaning, that line. 
Um, and Definitely. I love that. Emma reveals, at that point, that's when she reveals that she lied to Henry about his dad. Um, and then, you know, Regina arrives and tells Emma that she has to get the kids to Boston that night. So later on that night, Emma is in Storybrooke, and, you know, she's with Christopher and Ava, and she's having to put them, you know, in the squad car. And, and you know, it's so, I mean, it's really a sad situation. I mean, the, you know, Ava and Christopher are obviously devastated. Um, and I just want to take the time to point out, too, that the, that the little actress who played um, Gretel, I, I hope that she ends up being in more stuff because she is a great actress for a kid. I mean, she really has a, a powerful performance in this episode. Don't you agree? I do. Her, I believe her name is Kaylee Collins. She's, she was really great. And her, that's actually her hair, just, you know, by the way. I don't know if you guys care, but um, <laughs> she follows me on Twitter, and I've, you know, we've talked a little bit, and her hair really is, like, that long and blonde and, and braidy. So, you know, A-plus for her. I thought she was quite good. Yeah, she has her hair in a lovely braidy bunch, if you will. But I'm bumped. I'll be healthy, folks. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Emma is in, she's putting him in the squad car. Regina and Henry watch, and Henry leaves Regina's side to go tell Emma that they can't leave Storybrooke or something bad's going to happen, and Emma says it already did, and they drive away. Then at the town line, the car breaks down, so Emma calls the garage, and Tillman shows up to, you know, fix the car. He realizes that his kids are in the back seat, and once he sees them, he instantly loves them and goes to be with them, and Emma starts crying, so it just shows that, you know, how much she cares about that. Emma goes back to Mary Margaret's apartment. She reveals that, you know, the dad took the kids. They're happy that they found their father, but Emma's kind of regretting not finding her own parents. And she tells Mary Margaret about her Henry's theory that her parents put her in a magical wardrobe and sent her to our world to find them, and that he thinks Mary Margaret is her mother because she's Snow White. And they laugh about it, and Mary Margaret says that she didn't know that Snow White had a kid and that she should remember that, and Emma says that the book isn't quite the same. And Emma also basically says that it's crazy, that whole theory, and Mary Margaret says that Emma does have her chin. And I'm sorry, but she does. Like, mm-hmm. she, she looks, I'm sorry, Jennifer Morrison looks like she could be Jennifer Goodwin's child. I mean, really. Really. Like, they do look alike. I love it. I love it so much. God, I love this episode. <laughs> anyway, um, Emma goes, and this is, the next thing that happens is one of my favorite parts of the entire series really this moment when emma goes to leave and mary margaret sees her baby blanket she says oh what a pretty blanket and emma says thanks and she has a weird look on her face you know thinking something weird is going on and then mary margaret grabs the blanket and brings it up to her face and she smells it and there's that look of dawning comprehension that comes over her like she almost remembers and then she just shakes her head because of course the curse takes that memory away and she puts it back down I love that moment so much. It is so pow- it's such a small thing. It's a quick scene, but it's so powerful. So, it has so much meaning and depth to it. Um, yes. It's such a sad moment too that because the curse. I mean, you could tell that she something is happening, and then the curse just takes it away. It's such a great moment. I it's one of my favorite moments of the entire series, really. Me too. And what's weird is that a few of my favorite moments have no dialogue at all. That's one of them when Mary Margaret picks up the the blanket and smells it and you feel like, oh, this is it. This is it. She's going to know that's her daughter. And then, no. Nope. And it's 
It was just heart crushing. And the another one that comes to mind, no dialogue either. When we see, you know, the whole town hates Mary Margaret and they know what's going on. Nobody will talk to her. And then they start to forgive her. And without a word, Granny walks up and lights Mary Margaret's candle and, like, smiles at her. I felt like that was another one of these wordless, powerful scenes. So good. I, I, I think that the acting is just so, so amazing between the the actors that are portraying the characters. It's just so good. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also want to say that it's worth pointing out that Emma's name on the baby blanket, it's in purple yarn. Um, purple yeah. is the color of magic in television and movies, and Emma is true love incarnate. She is the ultimate. Emma is all of the magic, if you will. So I love the fact that uh, that her name is in purple because it completely goes with what she actually is and who she is, and I really I love that about that. Um, later on, of course, Emma sits in her car looking over her own file, uh, you know, her own file as a kid from the foster system and looking for information about you know, how to find her own parents, of course. And then Henry shows up with pumpkin pie like that that he believes his father used to bring her. And mm-hmm. they're standing outside kind of smiling, and then the stranger shows up. Ooh. Ooh. Strange. Ooh. On a motorcycle at that. And a uh, big question about who he was, of course, for the second half of season one, and he, we know it's August W. Booth, of course, who ends up being somebody very important down the line. But that's not this episode. Because it's already almost, we're almost done with uh, the recap, and we haven't even gotten to the fairy tale part of it yet. So I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of speed through this a little bit quickly. Um, Amy, uh, I'll try to let you chime in with some commentary now and again, but I want to make sure that we get through it in enough time because we've got Kaylee coming on the show here pretty soon. So I want to make sure that we've got right. enough time for makeup. So in the enchanted forest, the woodcutter is felling a tree. Gretel uh, Gretel offers to help him. Just want to say, quick moment of girl power. Love it because Hansel is off doing his own thing. Her father gives her the family compass before they depart to find kindling, and he says that a family always needs to be able to find one another. Later on, Hansel and Gretel return to the fallen tree, but their father is gone, and after hearing a noise, they run into the road. They get startled by Regina's carriage horse, and it breaks the compass. Regina leans out of the carriage and asks, what are you doing in my forest? Then she gets out of the carriage. Amy, I will let you comment now uh, because we have to. That outfit, girl. Regina, work. Amy, go. I, that is, oh, my God. You, you want to just see her on, uh, I, I don't know, I'm thinking like a big old drag runway, and, you know, she's leading the show. I love everything <laughs> about that outfit. <laughs> she's like, but I don't, I hate to say this. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to say this about my beautiful, beautiful queen. I didn't like the hat. I, I'm terribly sorry. The rest of the outfit, I was like, girl work but the like the hat with I don't know I was just like woohoo go 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 it just the hat was the only thing that I didn't love about it but the dress the outfit was quite lovely Ashley in the chat room is saying that Regina did have drag hair real talk she totally did girl she, she, <laughs> she can work it out with great like nobody's business I'm just hashtag yes. just saying okay but I love that outfit, the leather wrap around her shoulders and the big purple buttons and the huge mane of hair and that fabulous yeah. hat girl. I love she can work it. She can work any outfit. But oh my you gosh, I can. love it so much. She it reminded me of like an evil queen cowgirl. Like 
I loved it. Seriously. And you know what else, too? Because since she is the Wicked Witch of the West sister, she's like the Wicked Witch of the East, if you will, she's got a yeah. hat. Like, why didn't she they bring back that hat? Why didn't is they bring the back that hat in season three? Is that the hat that Beck wore in season three? I didn't even it, it think to compare no. the hat. It's not the same hat. It's not. Uh, no. Regina's hat is leather, and um, uh, uh, Zelina's hat is a material that is not leather. leather. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so, um, Hansel and, you know, uh, let me see. So, Regina talks to Hansel and Gretel about their missing father. She orders her guards to seize them. They run away. Regina appears. She sends the plant roots after him, pins them down to the ground. She says that they were foolish but also brave, telling them that they will, you know, she's going to find their father in exchange for their help. Of course, we kind of figure that she's the one who kidnapped their father, but that's, that's an aside. So Regina is leading Hansel and Gretel through the woods, and she asks them about the compass, of course, and, you know, Gretel kind of fills her in about what it's for. And then Regina leads them to the blind witch's house, and she tells them that they need to get the black leather satchel inside, but that uh, her house is very unique. And then, of course, it's revealed to be the gingerbread house of, of, of old, you know, the tale that we've all heard. And she warns them not to, she warns them, don't eat anything. Um, and, of course, then Hansel totally just does not listen to that at all and screws it all up. That, that's okay. Um, Hansel and Gretel <laughs> enter the... Hansel. Yeah, stupid little jerk kid. Totally kidding. Bravo. Totally kidding. Uh, bravo. A round of applause for you, dummy. I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> you're just a kid, I know. So Hansel and Gretel, they enter the blind witch's house, and Gretel goes to take the satchel, but before she does so, her brother takes a bite out of the cupcake, which wakes up the blind witch, who uses magic to lock down her house, and then she has that great, totally creepy line, I smell dinner. Um, creepy. Yum, yum, yum. Super um, so then Hansel and Gretel are put in their cage by the blind witch as she touches, you know, Hansel says, mm, nice and tender. Again, creepy. Um, and then she goes to prepare her oven. Um, Gretel comes up with an escape plan, which totally works. They escape. And that's when, you know, the blind witch asks, you know, if she should do gravy or butter. Gravy or butter. And uh, they manage to throw the witch into the oven, and they run. They grab the satchel, and they escape. Of course, there is a mirror in the house, and Regina is using her mirror magic to watch. And she conjures a lovely fireball in her hand, and she throws it through the mirror, and it starts the oven on fire, and we're burning the blind witch. And, of course, Regina lets us know that she would have gone gravy. Um, I love Lon's performance in this episode. Regina is so wicked. Oh, it's I just... know. She doesn't even yeah, feel the least bit bad. <laughs> Ashley <laughs> said that the blunt is this episode. He's like, calm down, Gordon Ramsay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lord, this is why I love Ashley so much. Oh, my God. Okay. So then they arrive at Regina's castle where they give her the satchel. I just want to say really quickly, I would like to see a backstory episode to explain exactly how the blind witch got the, uh, got the satchel away from Regina. I would like to see that uh, interaction. Now, the prize inside the satchel is revealed to be the poisoned apple. And I just want to point something out really quick. I love that in this giant gingerbread house made out of sugar and cake and all of these other things and all the lovely snacks, the healthiest snack in the place, the apple, is the thing that's actually going to kill you. Yes, exactly. 
Like, now, don't, don't, now, you know, beware of the messages here, fellow listeners. Do not take that to mean that you should totally buck all of your healthful living and just go eat all of the sugar because an apple will kill you. Please be sensible. Or, you know, do take it that way. <laughs> or do take it that way. We're all about the ice cream here. <laughs> ice cream you want, yes. Ben and Jerry's, that's my jam. Hashtag, just saying. So um, <laughs> Regina, says that, <laughs> Regina says that Gretel has a strong heart and that she reminds her very much of her younger self. Now, that's another Emma-Regina parallel right there because Emma also sees a lot of herself in, you know, in Ava back in Storybrooke. So, again, mm-hmm. they are highlighting the fact that Emma and Regina are very similar people, and you probably didn't even know it. So, Regina says that they weren't the first children that, they, that she sent into that sticky, sweet house, but that they were the first ones to emerge. And really what that means is that Regina sent countless children to their death trying to get the apple. A little brutal, Regina. Yeah. Could, like, a little much. But what like, are you going to do? Really, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? you got to take down Snow White somehow, and if you got to break a few eggs to do so, apparently that's totally acceptable, whether they're children there or not. Let's so, uh, her apple. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's whatever. So <laughs> then later on, in a soft moment, Regina offers to take them in as her own kids and give them their own rooms and valets, too. But Gretel refuses to live with somebody as terrible with Regina, and in a fit of anger, Regina transports them to what we later learn in the season one finale is the Infinite Forest. Um, Ashley in the chat room is saying that Regina was basically the Blind Witch's takeout service. It's true. <laughs> Ashley, I love you. Hashtag Seaster. Just see her calling. Um, Regina, do you have yeah. any Chinese? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, can you imagine? Okay. So then later on, Regina is watching Snow White and the dwarves in her mirror, and I just want to say that that scene of Snow walking with the dwarves is actually from another episode. It's from the episode where Snow is trying to deal with her heartbreak over Charming. So we kind of have an idea of where the timeline is happening in parallel with other episodes here through that scene. Her Hmm. guards bring the water into Regina's chamber, and she reveals that she told his kids that he abandoned them, but then she wants to know why they refuse to go with her. And she actually has tears in her eyes when she asks this. And he says that they're family, and that family always finds each other. So then she tells him that they can be together and be a family when they all find each other. And then, of course, we see that Hansel and Gretel are in an infinite forest and that there basically is no escape. And that's pretty much... And you can tell she hurt, she's hurt. Like, when he says yeah. that, you can see that Lana plays it and Regina's hurt. And you can see her eyes tear up and when she, you know, sends him off. And I love, and Ashley mentioned it too, this is the line, I kept posting it everywhere, where she is watching Snow and the Seven Dwarfs, and she's like, she's cavorting with dwarfs now. <laughs> I was, I, that was yeah. one of my favorite yeah. lines in the episode. Yeah, yeah. she's cavorting with dwarves? When did that happen? Yeah. Um, well, actually, I can tell you when it happened. Once upon a time in 1930s, Walt Disney had a drink. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, there you go. Exactly and eventually, went to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And, Regina, there's your answer. That's when she started cavorting with the dwarves, when Walt Disney decided to insert. No, I'm just totally kidding. Anyways. Um, so, yeah, that's basically that the, you know, the, the fairy tale part of it actually happened really quickly, but it was more the setup of the tension in the blind witch's house and, you know, you know, is she going right. to wake up? Is she 
and them. How are they going to escape? And we obviously know how it's going to end because we all know the fairy tale. But mm-hmm. I love the fact, you know, Regina's mirror magic came into play, that she started the fire and burned the witch. There's a lot of really good lines for Regina in this episode, um, most of which you we know have what else highlighted. I love, I loved, loved about this episode was that this is one of several times in this show that we got the lore of the compass. And it's the same kind of story that you see in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, that the compass doesn't necessarily point north. It points to what you want most. And this was one of those times where we saw that, because then, you know, later on we we see the compass again, something that, you know, in tiny that they're going to look for in that episode. So I love that this was where we really got to see, you know, the beginnings of the compass. Yeah, I agree. I love the fact that, you know, a compass and finding each other and, you know, everything like that, um, that it comes into play, obviously finding things and so forth in a compass is a, it's an, it's an obvious, uh, um, it's a, yeah, it is a thing that, that, and I love the fact that it throws the Pirates of the Caribbean because Lee Ehrenberg, who plays Leroy and Grumpy, is Pintel put the pirate in Pirates of the Caribbean. So it's a uh-huh. nice little connection here that I do enjoy. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to, uh, well, I don't know what I was going to say I'm looking forward to. I am looking forward to the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and I hope that Lee is going to be in it, but there's been no real word about that yet. So, you know, because I if you didn't so. know, if you didn't know, there are podcast listeners, there is going to be another Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So, um, And, yes, Johnny Depp is going to be in it. So, because, you know, yeah, Johnny me. Depp is in everything for Disney these days. Yeah. Um, and they started, they just started production yesterday on the second Alice in Wonderland. The Tim, I don't know if you, how you guys feel about the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland. Uh, those of you who are new to the podcast, I am huge, huge, huge Alice in Wonderland freak. I collect everything Alice in Wonderland. If it's I, so I loved the first one, and then I read yesterday that through the Looking Glass, it, they just started production yesterday with all the same cast. So it's going to be backstory. We're going to. It's obviously Johnny Depp is the Hatter. We're going to see the Hatter's parents. We're going to see all kinds of stuff from the back. So you know previous story i'm i'm so excited oh i can't even breathe like i i love alice in wonderland just like i love wizard of oz but atlas is kind of yeah i'm sure those of you who follow me and have heard me ramble before i'm so so addicted to all things alice in wonderland i may or may not have a pair of mad hatter socks on my feet right now i'm just saying also i may have dressed my dog up as the cheshire cat last halloween but you know who knows anyway Totally addicted to Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> love, love, love. <laughs> but oh. I am so excited. <laughs> yeah, I have a problem. Um, one thing that I, one thing I do want to point out too about this uh, this sequel is that not only are we going to see all of these characters, but they actually gave the characters names. Um, they gave the yes. Mad Hatter a name. Uh, they gave the the Red Queen, or excuse me, the Queen of Hearts. She has a name. The White Queen. She mm-hmm. has a name. Uh, they actually named them this time. And and I want to point out, too, that, yes, Helena Bonham Carter will be back as the Queen of Hearts. Anne Hathaway will uh, be back as yeah. the Queen. Um, yeah, Alan Rickman that. will be back as the voice of the Caterpillar. As um, yes. Matt Dillon will be back as Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Like, everybody who was in the first one is going to be in the sequel. So, in case you didn't know that. 
Um, let me see. All we of the hours. Couple... Give it to me. All of the hours, yes. Um, and I just want to point out really, too, really quickly, um, if any of you follow me and Amy on Twitter, then you may be aware of a show that's on ABC now called The Quest. While we have a couple of minutes before we get Kaylee on the line, I just want to tell all of you that if you are into The Lord of the Rings, you are, well, you're listening to us, you're clearly into Once Upon a Time. If you're into cosplay, if you enjoy going to Ren Fairs, if you enjoy reality shows, you have got to watch this show Thursdays at 8 o'clock on ABC because it is the best reality show ever. 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 And I hate reality shows. I don't watch reality shows, but I love The Quest. It's so, there's so much fantasy meat. You know, it's, it's like, you know, they took 12 people who love fantasy and love stories and books and movies the way that a lot of us do, and they put them right into this show. It's, it's just, oh, my gosh. And even the producer said that, you know, episode one was more to get everybody acquainted with the, the paladins, as they're called, and the storyline. So if you missed last week, ABC actually has it where you don't have to log in. You can just go to ABC and watch it. That's kind of a, an introductory episode, but they're saying, you know, from two and three on, it's really going to start going just full forward. Love it so much. Yeah, the thing that's different about this one is that it actually has a storyline to it. There is a point to everything going on. Um, everybody is on a quest to be the one true hero, which I love. Um, I really recommend that you watch that show. It is great fun. I have heard from a few oncers who started watching it with us, and they all love it. If you have any friends who are into that kind of thing, tell them about it because it's a great show. Um, you know, it's, yeah, there are 12 kingdoms. They're only in the first kingdom right now. Like, oh, my gosh, it's such a good show. Um, I love it a lot. Like, I love it a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, having said that, actually, Amy, if you don't mind, I need you to uh, to kind of uh, entertain the folks, if you will, for just a second, because I have to make sure that Kaylee will be joining us. So I will be right back, everybody. Fabulous. Oh, so I'm looking in the chat room. I know I would sing and dance for you, but then you would all cry and run away, and I'd have nobody in the chat room with me. So, anywho, let's see. I'm looking in the chat room, and Wonser Mexico was in the line with Ashley. Huh. Did you guys get to actually meet and talk to each other, or was it just sort of a look at all of us Wonsers here? Ashley's saying I'm a bad person. Ashley, you are fabulous. You're not a bad person. So, Do any of you guys watch Supernatural? I know a bunch of our family members, especially my son, is absolutely addicted to Supernatural. And Kaylee just recently posted some of the pay, uh, work that she's done for that show. Super ucky. I know Ashley saw it. She was like, ooh, gross. I want to see more. But, yeah, it's Amy, Ashley. Amy, my daughter. Yes, dear. Yes, darling. We are now joined by our lovely friend Kaylee, who is, of course, as we said, one of the makeup artists in season one of Once Upon a Time. Kaylee, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Kaylee. Very happy that you were able to join us today. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. We appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. So can you I'm tell so us a little bit about what exactly... Oh, wait, what's... Yeah, oh, sorry. I'll let Amy do her introductions before we do this. Go ahead, Amy. <laughs> No, I just wanted to tell Kaylee, like, I'm so excited to finally talk to her for, like, quote-unquote real, because we've been, like, fake, you know, online social media chatting. 
forever. But I'm, I'm so glad that we got to finally get you on the show and get to talk to you. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, Good. we're very excited to have you with us. So, um, so just want to you know get into this a little bit here. Um, Kaylee, can you tell us a little bit about what you do as far as like when you're actually at work, like what's kind of your work process in the day? Um, oh, God, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> well, I usually start my day by going in and having a coffee. Um, Very important. And then my boss will, yes, and uh, my boss will usually have instructions for me, like what pieces need to be run, what needs to be made, if anything needs to be sculpted, if anything needs to be molded, or if we have life casts coming in or something like that. So that's like my, my shop day is usually like running pieces and making the pieces and appliances for the TV shows that we work on. And actually manufacturing the prosthetics themselves, right? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Like, so how did you, like, what kind of training and schooling did you have to have to get into that kind of thing? Um, I went to a makeup school in Vancouver um, where I networked and I met a lady who um, does what I do, and she's more of an on-set artist now. Um, and I talked to her about it, and she connected me with um, Toby Lindela, who works at Schmincken, who owns Schmincken. And um, he basically took a risk on me, brought me in as an, at an intern level, and uh, I worked for him for about four years. And now I'm working for Bill Terrazakis at WCT, which is another prosthetics company. So I'm, awesome. I'm really self, yeah, I'm pretty much self-taught because the school I went to didn't have a lot of effect stuff, but it gave you enough to understand the basics. So we learned how to life cast. We learned how to make um, snap molds, which is like the part of the face or the body that you are making the appliance on. And then they show you how to sculpt the appliances, how to make your edges and things like that. So it's a pretty basic um, understanding of all the things that we do. But sometimes, like, we don't have the option of actually life casting, so we're we're doing something called fabrication where we're taking something and making it into something else or turning it into something new or a totally different body part or something like that. That's so a lot awesome. of it, I guess a lot of it's like, yeah, a lot of it is training on the job. Like before you waste 50,000 or however much money you're going to on a school, I would see if you could maybe get an internship in a shop if that's what you want to do. Or like really, because we've had a lot of people ask, you know, how what what would be that was one of the top questions people wanted to know. Like, what was your advice if someone wanted to really get into not just you know straight face makeup, but the types of things that you do as well. So I know a lot of people yeah. wanted us to ask you that. I would do, like, I personally, before I got into Toby's shop, before I started working for him, um, I did the Dick Smith course, which he just passed away recently, which is very sad because he's, like, the godfather of makeup. Yeah. Um, mm. If you don't know who he is, you should research him. Um, yeah, you've probably seen his work in a lot more than you realize. Yeah. 
I did his um, correspondence course. And then I also signed up for Stan Winston Online, which they teach you everything. Like you, like if there's something I'm not sure how to do, I can go on to my Stan Winston course and I can find something that's similar where I can get the basic understanding of what I need to do and then do, go from there. So that's like a lot of And just like... I don't know. Just practice at home. I practiced a lot when I was when I wasn't in school. Mm-hmm. So. So did you have like friends that let you do. practice on them? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Usually, the whoever I was my partner at the time or my family. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They like get that. to be the guinea pig. Or I would. Yeah, or I'd practice on myself too. There you go. If you can well, do your own makeup and do it really well. Then yeah. you're set. I cannot do my makeup, so apparently this would not be for me. <laughs> we know on Once Upon a Time, you, you you got to do some of the Team 7 makeup creations. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the pieces that you did for Once and the types of makeup and work that you did on Season 1 of Once? Um, well, I didn't. What happens is um, my boss goes to these meetings and he figures out what the producers and the directors want for what mm-hmm. he's doing, and he comes up with designs. And then we have everybody in the shop, like it's normally a collaborative of every person, and we have like we have our sculptors, we have our mold makers, we have our piece runners, we have our whatever, and everybody kind of does a little bit of everything. Um, I just, like this past season, um, a lot of our molds, like after a while, your molds get run down and you have to recreate whatever appliance was in them. I just had to re-sculpt um, Dopey's nose for the show because we couldn't find his like his uh, mold for some oh. unknown reason. <laughs> so I re-sculpted that one and remolded that one. Um, but as far as like conceptually, none of that was me. That's all Toby. Toby and the producers and, like, the production team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I made, like, Rumpel's nails and stuff like that. Um, I went on to set, and I was able to do – I did Dopey, I did Happy, I did Bashful, mm-hmm. and I did Grumpy. So I've done so cool. four out of the seven makeups, yeah. And then, like, some extras, like – they had the uh, the episode which we were nominated for the Emmy for, which was episode 14 of season one. Um, mm-hmm. There was the like helper dwarf and and I think it was was it sneaky dwarf. Stealthy. Stealthy. Jeff Gustafson <laughs> played him. Stealthy. Yeah. That's what it was. Stealthy. <laughs> I think originally he was named Sneaky and they didn't like that. <laughs> that yeah, that's accurate. Right. I remember reading that too. Yeah, they did, they didn't want to make it seem like he was any kind of underhanded dwarf. Criminal, criminal dwarf. Instead of sneaky. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's that's great. So I wanted to ask you, um, of of all the projects that you have worked on, um, actually, wait, hold on, was that? that, Yeah, no, excuse me, sorry, wrong question. Um, What has been the most difficult um, makeup or prosthetic effect that you have had to create, whether it was on Once Upon a Time or another project? Um, I just did one recently for a project that I can't name yet. Um, 
but they wanted this like American werewolf in London style transformation ham. And that was probably the most difficult one I've had to do because they wanted the, not only the finger motion, but they wanted like claws and stuff to come out of the ends and it's figuring out how you're going to be able to build everything inside of it to come out properly after you run your silicone or whatever material you're using over top of it. So it was, that was probably the most difficult one I've had to do because I had to incorporate finger movement with a push pull rod system inside the armature for a few different mechanisms that they wanted the hand to change and grow with and do that. Wow. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what that project may end up being. I'll have to ask you about that a little bit later on. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, You know, another thing that I wanted to ask you is, you know, in a lot of shows and movies we've seen, you know, it's like CGI has taken the place of something that could have possibly been done with makeup. Have you noticed a trend one way or another as far as CGI and makeup competing, or is it more of a thing where they work in tandem with each other? Um. There was a while where it was competing, but I'm thinking productions now are realizing that they can go hand in hand and you can use both of them together. Like I worked on Wayward Pines, which is the M. Night Shyamalan TV show, and we did these creature makeups, but they're going in with CGI to like shrink the heads and make the bodies bigger and things like that. So I'm there's more of the tandem hand-in-hand makeup effects and CGI going on now than there was before. And I think it's just because they, same as Planet of the Apes, it's not like we'll do a static, like um, the shop that I work for now built a static gorilla so that they could scan it into their program and then use that to go over the capture motion people that they were using and things like that. That's really interesting. We were talking about the Tim Burton. Yeah, go ahead. Um, They do it for video games, too. Like, um, there was a few video games where they'll take the people with, like, makeups done on them, and they'll 3D scan them and put them into their program, and they'll use them for video games. And that's how we're getting all these really realistic video games, like L.A. Noir and things like that, where the people look like people. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's cool. Jacob will love yeah. to know that. <laughs> yeah, He's you know, that's, the video games right now. <laughs> that's something that we were actually talking about earlier. We were talking about the Tim Burton, um, Alice in Wonderland earlier, and when we're talking about oh, now yeah. the CG and makeup kind of working together, it seems like that would have been, like, what they did for Helena Bonham Carter's character. Is that right? Yes, because she was so small. And it's also, like, um, it can be camera tricks, too, how they shoot the – her in certain roles as well, just on the angles. Right, the like perspective. Playing with perspective yeah, and things. So they, yeah, so they can mess around with perspectives. They can mess around with it in CGI. They can mess around with it in a lot of different forms, I guess. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I know <laughs> that you can't <laughs> – you can't share whatever that one project was you're talking about. Are there? I know that you've worked on Supernatural. We were actually talking about that before you came on because tons of Oncers are huge Supernatural fans, including everybody in our house. 
But are, do you have projects yeah. <laughs> that you're working on that you can tell us about or anything that you want to kind of promo before we wrap up? Um, I guess, oh, you know, I'm not really sure if I can talk about the ones that aren't aired yet. Like, I can tell you about uh-huh. um, season nine of Supernatural because I did, like, mm-hmm. I did a few makeups for the last couple episodes of that one. But I'm not really sure. Like, it's all non-disclosure, so right. it's kind of like if I say anything, I can get in a lot of trouble for it if it hasn't been aired or if it hasn't been leaked yet or anything like I that. I totally understand. <laughs> well, We're not how thinking about... about to serve with litigation, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what I about did, if... um... Pardon? Oh, I was just going to say that if you wanted to, I mean, we know you can't talk about any of them now. If you wanted to come back after they aired and you can talk about them, that, you know, any time we would love to get to talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool. Cause I'm working, I've worked on some really big films the last. Oh, I guess I can talk about Godzilla because that's out in theaters already. Yeah. Or like, yeah. is Godzilla still in theaters? Yeah, talk about Godzilla. <laughs> Um, we didn't like we didn't do anything that has to do with the um, the actual creature Godzilla that was totally CGI but we did a lot of the um, and when I say we I mean Lindell Schwenk and Effects as the company um, Ellis Effects um, under Toby Lindell we did um, all the basically the radiation burns and the victim and like the victims from the massacres and stuff like that we did a lot of the effects makeups and Toby got to go to set and work with Victoria down on a lot of them, which is really awesome. Um, and then they went like, they filmed all over. They filmed in Hawaii and they filmed in Vancouver and they went all over the place, which is really wow, awesome. tough gig. <laughs> yeah. Um, but oh. I think that's the only one I can talk about out of all the big features that I've done in the last year. Okay. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> we actually have a question from you from our chat room. Um, our friend Ashley wants to know how you feel about the show Face Off, as you've seen that. Face Off? Um, I don't think it gives a realistic view on how an actual shop works because we're never going to take two days and sculpt and make an entire creature suit. You know, like hmm. we're going to take our time. We're going to nail it. We're going to make it perfect. We're going to take at least two weeks to build one and that's after we life cast and we prep all the molds and like the cores and stuff which is probably another week um so there's you know there's a lot of stuff that goes into making actual makeup effects and face off is really cool for showing you like upcoming awesome talent but not necessarily awesome work so interesting i kind of feel yeah i kind of feel like it's like it gives like these productions a false view on how long it actually takes to build stuff because I have been given, you know, like a 24 hour turnaround to build a, a chess piece with something coming through it or like a, you know, like a, a makeup that would normally take two days. They've given us a day essentially to build and it's just, it's just not realistic and it makes our shop go into overtime, and it costs a lot more money than it normally would, and it's just, yeah. (laughs) It is is. a mess. Chaos. 
Kaylee, you know, um, we're actually, we are out of time because our show is about to be over, but I really do thank you for spending a few minutes telling us about your experience and, and talking with us. And I certainly hope that if you do have any other projects and you want to come back on and talk to us about it, that you will do so because we'd love to have you. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you so thank much for you. having me on. Yeah, oh, no problem. Love you, love you, love you. It was nice to actually talk to you, Amy. <laughs> I know. Jacob says hi and kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Nice hair, lady. <laughs> kiss, kick, hug, uh, kiss, kiss, hug, hug, Jacob. <laughs> my hair. Did, oh, you, cool. uh, did you see All the right. most recent photo of my hair? <laughs> I'll have to All right. Hey, Kaylee, um, I can't. I got to. I got to interrupt you guys because we only have 90 seconds left. And Kaylee, I can't actually disconnect your call because I don't know how. So, um, sorry, I'll hang up. <laughs> yeah, if you want to chill out with us till the end of the show, you totally can. But yeah, uh, otherwise, we're going to go. All right, have a good day, guys. You Bye, too. sweetie. Thank on. you. Bye. 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 All right. Kaylee, she well, that was uh, that was our interview with Kaylee, and we hope that uh, it got you guys some interesting inside information and some insights into the process of Make Up on Once Upon a Time. Um, that is pretty much it for our show this week. We have to wrap it up here. We will be back next week with another podcast. We'll have all the latest news for you guys, of course. And let me see. Next week, Amy, what episode are we watching? Uh, let me see here. Is it hey, are we seven fifteen next week? Are we 715 Or are we That's doing the next one? Or was it the, the stranger? Okay. No, no, we should do 715 and then we can do the stranger. You know what, guys? Sorry, we okay. I closed the window with the list, and it's been a while since we had that list anyway. We've got 10 seconds left. We will put next week's episode online for you guys. we got to wrap it up for you now. Thank you all for joining us. See you next week. Bye.